and welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Going for Two, presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host, Matt Brown. I write the Extra Points newsletter for the D1 Ticker family. I'm joined here by my colleague, my co-host, Brian Fisher. We apologize for missing last week. Brian and I were in person. We were at the NCAA convention. We were in San Antonio. We tried to spend a whole hour recording the show shortly after uh, the conclusion of another 13-hour day. And uh, I think God didn't want you to hear that particular podcast because it looks like it got it got swallowed up. So, Brian, it's unfortunate that I'm talking to you um, over StreamYard instead of in person, but it is good to see you again. Well, it, it was good to see you in person, as you mentioned there. And uh, unfortunately, that uh, that episode was uh, certainly lost to the uh, the Ethernet and, and not uh, not the uh, Internet kind. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we can still kind of cover a lot of the stuff that we didn't <laughs> Ended up talking about in that episode here uh, nowadays, and, and thankfully, as I, I went back and, and checked all the footage, all of our interviews that we did with all the conference commissioners, a lot of ADs, a lot of people that are in the know there from the NCA, uh, all that will be up in on Collegiate Sports Connect both this week and in the coming weeks, and yeah. uh, all that uh, seemed to seem to turn out okay, even though our, our little podcast that we recorded did not. But hey, thankfully, you know what, college athletics dying down just a little, ever so slightly in terms of the actual news cycle. Yeah. No, I, I honestly I think I think this this lined up okay. The important thing is you got to hear you're going to be able to hear from the people that actually know stuff firsthand <laughs> and and it gives us also it gives us a chance I think to really digest everything that happened. Not to say that the insights from Texas were not important, but you know, like we mentioned, you know, and Brian was was even was pulling longer duty than I was. But you know, those were these were thirteen hour days where you're talking to an AD or a commissioner or a, a television consultant or somebody, almost back to back to back. And you don't have a chance to think. So now that we're a couple of days uh, away from the convention, we can we can talk about the Big Ten news. I think in a second. Now we've had a chance to kind of think and digest. What have been some of your takeaways? from our, our time in Texas together. If, we're, if we were trying to sum up everything that happened to a non-industry person, what, what should you think should be some of those big takeaways? Well, you know, I was kind of actually thinking back to the year ago and, and the previous NCAA convention there in Indianapolis and how there was all this you know buzz about the new constitution, yeah. a couple of smaller schools kind of against it a little bit, or, or at least wanting uh, a few changes to it. And, uh, you know, that kind of got rubber stamped and that was the big thing going on this time. I think it was much more about number one, Charlie Baker, uh, the new NCAA president. This was kind of his big rollout. He met with a lot of stakeholders, a lot of media members, um, you know, kind of both privately. And, and this was kind of his full uh, rollout publicly in terms of the state of college sports that uh, he he spoke uh, with, uh, along with uh, Baylor president and uh, board of governors chair, Linda Livingstone. And that was kind of the, the, the biggest thing for me. I, I know we had the transformation committee report. There was a lot of talk about that. Maybe even how some of those concepts even filter down to, to some of the lower levels at D division two, II, division three. We had a, a lot of good conversations with them, but I, I really think the, the big takeaway in, in my mind is that it, it, there's there's a big separation in terms of eras and the Mark Emmer era is that we can close the book on that fully. And, and I think everybody's excited to move into or at least see what is, is going to become of this Charlie Baker era. It's going to be very different than than the Emmert era. And and I, I, why don't, I guess we, we can start by talking about Charlie first. Um, this was my first opportunity to. I hear from him directly. He spoke a little bit in front of you know the delegates, the entire convention, and then there was a separate media availability uh, where you and I were and half dozen other reporters and got to talk to him and Dr. Livingstone here for a little bit. The 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 immediate takeaways 
so far. And one, I, I, I recognize that this is going to sound completely ridiculous, but there's some truth to it that you and I are, you know, right this very second have more boots on the ground in the weeds, actionable experience in this industry than the head of the NCAA does. And I say that not to insinuate that we are smarter than Governor Baker or that Governor Baker does not have the intellectual horsepower or the, the team around him to get him up to speed. But in terms of like knowing what subcommittee does what and and how the NCAA interfaces with uh, different schools and, and what you know, somebody in Division Two or somebody in the Mountain West or somebody in in, in uh, the Big West thinks about some of these issues, we literally know more. Um, and I, I say that not be to, to promote us as geniuses, but to underscore the fact that, you know, it's not common for someone to walk into an organization this complicated and in this amount of transition without having that background. Now, you know, to, what, what Baker would say to that, and I, I you know, I, I think he, he, he mentioned it in, in this press conference, I've heard him use this example elsewhere, like, you know, healthcare is a pretty complicated industry too. And that's where he spent the bulk of his, a lot of his career before becoming the governor. And by all accounts, handled those, that executive management very well. And like, I, I don't think that there's anything in the basketball executive committee that's, that's going to be outside his, his grasp, but there's going to be a learning curve there. What I saw in that conversation with reporters and with his uh, you know, talk to the delegates and what we heard from him elsewhere at that convention was almost uniformly centered on congressional outreach. And while there's things in the NCAA Transformation Committee report that have nothing to do with Congress and that there are going to be some changes happening that have nothing to do with Congress, it's hard for me to walk away from that convention and think that there's any issue at the NCAA level that's more important to that organization right now than getting help from Washington, D.C. And we're going to hear, I think, not just from him uh, a lot over the next couple of months, but I expect we're going to hear more from Dr. Livingstone. And I expect we're going to hear more from other university presidents to go on the offensive and explaining this is what's good and working about college athletics. This is why we need this. And this is what's going to happen if we don't get it. Um, and from what we saw in that limited time period there, they're both more effective communicators, at least when it comes to that, than I think Emmert ever was. Oh, I, I completely agree. And, and I asked uh, a number of folks that asked uh, Dr. Livingstone on, on the record in terms of, you know, is, is the NCAA being more offensive, I guess, in terms of their messaging, in terms of just being more proactive. Yeah. And, when you uh, talk, you, said, when you talk to her. Yeah. Like you, you, we have a connect segment about it and everything that you guys should watch. I think that was part of it. Yeah, hefty 30-minute uh, interview with her covering a wide range of topics on, on Collegiate Sports Connect. Highly recommend anybody in the weeds, especially in, in the NCAA, for, on those committees to, to check that out. Uh, going through the hiring process that, that led to Dr. Uh, Governor Baker. It, and to me, it, it was not just, is, is the messaging more on the offensive? Are, are they being more proactive? But also, I, I think the, the leadership style. Uh, that, that Governor Baker kind of provides is, is vastly different from, from Mark Emmert, who definitely pushed things much more to the conferences, made the conference commissioners really more powerful than maybe they, they probably should have been. Um, you know, at, at times of crisis, you know, there was not that kind of national office leadership. Yeah. I, I think that's going to change a little bit, too. I, I think Governor Baker, you know, everybody talked about you know, building consensus and, and how he was a Republican governor in a very uh, Democratic leaning state and, and how he's still able to get things done. And I, I think bringing that kind of ethos to the NCA and, and making sure that, hey, there's going to be 
uh, you know, more more leadership from the national office itself in terms of the issues of the time, not just in terms of legal, not just in terms of, uh, you know, hey, we, we got to go to Congress and stuff like that. Like, hey, we're, we're going to be pulling in, in the same direction a little bit more often than, than we have in the past. Um, I, I think it was notable. And, and yeah. we'll see ultimately if that will end up be, still being the, the case in practice. You know, he does have to kind of learn some of the ins and outs is, outs of the job. And I, I think that kind of goes back to when when Mark Emmert's kind of stepped down and, and made the announcement. We all kind of wondered, what is this job going to be moving forward? And, and I think we're, we're getting at least some hints in terms of what that's going to be like uh, under Governor Baker. And, and it's a vastly different role. You, you mentioned just he, he's going to be on Capitol Hill quite often over the next coming coming months. Um, you know, once he gets back, I think he officially starts it in March. And so when that is the case, um, you know, he, he's going to be uh, talking with a lot of senators. He, he's going to be um, certainly ever present in in things like, you know, the night commission meetings and, uh, you know, speaking to to other committees and, and, and stuff. I, I think he's going to be heavily involved in those kind of type of matters, not just in terms of making the NCAA as a case, but also making sure that, uh, you know what, they, they're starting to kind of lobby and lobby hard in terms of what they ultimately want on things like an antitrust bill. You know, uh- you, you, I think you, you bring up a point that I hadn't really considered about this idea of the of the national office uh, going on the offensive about the, for things and showing leadership for things independent of just uh, what you need from Congress, right? So one of the policies that actually was passed over the convention, and uh, we talked about it a little bit with the commissioner of the Patriot League, but didn't really make a lot of headlines outside of really hardcore industry publications, is this idea that the NCAA is moving away from requiring SAT, ACT scores for, to determine baseline eligibility for athletes. They're leaning more on GPA. Used to be a sliding scale um, involving both uh, you know, to determine base minimum eligibility standards for the last, the last several years. And part of that is because many universities, including some highly selective institutions throughout the country, are ditching this system for applicants generally. And there's also uh, an equity component to this, right? We, we, we now know as a society bet more about uh, cultural biases uh, involving uh, particular groups within standardized tests. And we know who benefits from that world and who doesn't. This is the kind of thing that the NCAA could theoretically trumpet, could dis- uh, discuss. And so that the, the main person talking about it isn't the commissioner of the Patriot League or uh, a, a couple of, of extremely niche journalists, uh, but but an argument that you want to make full-throated and, and potentially shape what's going on with universities across the country. That hasn't happened yet, and we haven't seen a whole lot of aggressive messaging, I think, on college sports issues outside of NIL, and I think in part because NIL and, and, and amateurism and labor issues have completely swallowed everything else up right now. We don't really know exactly where somebody like Baker fits into that world, or, or where the office is going to be. Um, that's that that that's worth monitoring. Right? I I think I I think we would both probably agree. The history books and his membership will judge him on his ability to get this done in D.C. We could we could talk a little bit more about that here in a second. But even though that's the most important thing, it's not the only part of the gig. 
No, and, and and to your point, I mean, this is a higher ed trend in general that, yeah. that you know, I think the NCAA is uh, definitely taking their cues from in terms of their actual membership in the, in the schools. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of how the NCAA Eligibility Center kind of changes their their workload. I'm sure there are a few folks there in the national office that are kind of tasked day to day in terms of certifying a lot of those uh, initial eligibility stuff that uh, they're, they're probably very, very happy <laughs> at this type of move. But um, you, you look at this. You know, look, Governor Baker's, you know, he's already in his early 60s. You know, he really has been kind of tasked with, like, get us over this hump oh, in yeah. terms of making this this uh, a reality in terms of, uh, some, you know, working with Congress, getting those exceptions when needed. And, and I, you know, I, I don't get the sense necessarily that he's in it for, uh, say, say, a 10-year term or anything like that. But uh, this you know, very much seems like uh, he, he's got one big job to do. Uh, he he kind of understands that part. He may not, as, as, to your point, understand what the you know Division One Council Subcommittee on NIL you know re, you know uh, might might be doing or you know the, the kind of ins and outs of that. But he doesn't need to. Like uh, I think that uh, is is a bit of a misnomer. The the NCAA bureaucracy um, you know runs pretty you know it, it runs well. I, I guess you could say it maybe not super efficiently, but but it runs well. Everybody kind of knows their task and 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 where things are going and, and how things work and uh you know to be honest there, there are a lot of decisions that are going to be made below him that sure. uh you know might impact you know your 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 typical especially fbs schools or, or whatnot uh, at the end of the day though you know he, he is there for one reason and one reason only and and he he gets that idea and i think he's aware of that he understands that that challenge more than anything I think that was when you talk about the interview process, that was what he was speaking to the Board of Governors about more than anything, not more than, you know, his son's playing Division three football or, you know, signing the, some of the joys about college athletics. You know, yeah, that, that that's great. Nice to nice to talk about a little bit uh, on those initial press conferences or, or on those media tours. But um, you know, to me, he, he definitely understood that the task ahead, it's a tall one. And and I think he's he's up for it and exci- almost excited a little bit to kind of take that on because he knows that that could be an, a nice little uh, feather in his cap in terms of his legacy down the road. Do we want to talk about what exactly the NCAA is asking for here? Um, well, for, for the, the the listeners that uh, maybe were not uh, too in the weeds there with us in, in San Antonio or have been following on that, that probably would be a little bit good in terms of a, a bit of a refresher. And even for those that have been in, uh, you know, we, we haven't seen a whole lot of changes necessarily in terms of what happens the last maybe four or five months, but uh, there there have been some notable thing, things on that front. Yeah, so let me, let's, let's, let's talk about that specifically here real quick. Governor Baker and Dr. Livingstone at the convention said that specifically they want three things out of Washington. One, they want Congress to affirm, and I want to make sure I have the exact quote here, right? The the special unique status for student athletes. You know, uh, uh, Dr. Livingstone was really explicit. Like, I think that the effort to make college athletes employees is deeply misguided. We want Congress to help protect us from the courts or the NLRB or third parties potentially imposing an employee status on some or maybe all college athletes. So that is one, that's a very big ask that the, 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 to, to, for Congress. That's one of the three things. Well, and, and I would just say, and we kind of had this conversation a little bit with, with Richard Johnson uh, yeah. of Sports Illustrated, you know, the, the thing is like college athletics is is very specific, very special. You know, like get, get away from kind of your feelings about the whole enterprise and the, the, the exploitation of labor. Uh, certainly things have, have evened out a little bit in terms of the introduction of, of NIL. But look, nobody else in, in, in the world has our kind of university system. Nobody else has college athletics as general, especially being the second most popular uh, sport in, in terms of college football, college basketball. 
basketball, another extremely very popular sport, especially come March. Um, you know, this is a, a very unique enterprise and you can't really make it. Uh, oh, this is this is going to be the, the square peg and, and here's the round hole. And uh, we're just going to kind of jam it in there like it, it is very unique. And I think um, not telling that that part of the message, you know, I, I think that is going to start changing a, a lot more going forward with Congress, because as much as, uh, as as Dr. Livingstone pointed out, look, everybody in in their district probably has a college, a junior college, uh, you know, some s- sort of higher education, at least close by. And, and so, like, everybody in, in the country should be invested in terms of where this whole enterprise is going. And it is such a unique one. I, I think making sure that that is conveyed in whatever future we're going towards um, is going to be key for, for the NCAA and, and ultimately for the schools themselves. That is what I think arguably the biggest thing that they're asking and, and you're right. And and I, I want to kind of talk about the, whether these are good ideas or, or what they might look like in a second. So, but I you know let's, that's, that's one of the three things. Second, they're asking for what they're defining as a safe Harbor for a certain degree from antitrust complaints. They're not asking for like a broad uh, indefinite antitrust exemption, but uh, the NCAA feels that without that, they cannot make or enforce not just NIL legislation, but lots of other national legislation. The idea right now that if the NCAA theoretically said, hey, um, it sure looks like that $13 million deal that's being offered to a high school uh, football recruit with seven Instagram posts, it's probably an athletic inducement rather than a market-driven approximation of his market value as as a celebrity influencer. If they tried to penalize that, they would be in court in a week, or rather, they would be sued. You would not in court in a week uh, for um, uh, for uh, for a, a, an unfair restriction of trade, and there would probably be additional litigation about that forever without this sort of antitrust um, protection. The third thing that they want is uh, legislation that will preempt various state laws. Um, right now, as 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 most of our listeners are probably aware. There's well over two dozen states that have slightly different NIL laws, um, and a couple of those even, even touch other parts of college athletics. Some have laws that require athletes to disclose some of their deals. Some have laws that forbid it. Uh, some have laws that say universities can be involved in such and such. Some say that they can't. In practice, there's very little difference because almost none of these laws have enforcement mechanisms, and nobody that does is actually trying to enforce them. Because it's insane for an attorney general to like try to use that to go after state U for recruiting crimes. But they are on paper and no university general counsel is going to recommend we should break the law. So they're saying, listen, we need a national law to trump all of these state laws so we can have a uniform standard. Those are the, th- those are the three things. So what I can tell you is, number one, um, the NCAA asked for about those same three things last year. And that effort went mostly nowhere. There were at least a half dozen laws proposed, bills proposed in both the Senate and the U.S. House um, that would that would that would cover some of these things, but none of them got out of committee. Um, broadly speaking, the ones proposed by Republicans tended to be narrower in scope and were more likely to give the NCAA what they wanted. The ones proposed by Democrats, by and large, were more expansive. Um, any Democrat that cares deeply about this and labor is not going to be okay signing off on uh, refusing like, on, on keeping athletes from being able to collectively bargain or to become employees or to organize. Like that is something that Senator Murphy and and uh, Senator Booker are are like that's that's 
a flat out red red flag uh, for, for for those camps. So the conventional wisdom is, hey, if this didn't work out so well last year when Democrats controlled everything. Well, now Republicans have the House. And I don't know if you noticed, but um, the Republican House caucus, not super organized or functional um, in, in many ways. I don't want to get like too partisan here, but um, I would not say that every committee head in that group is part of our you know nation's greatest deliberative body um, and, and the most policy oriented individual. So I understand the argument that it's going to be difficult to to get cohesion among this group, especially as we're going to be heading into a presidential election uh, and, you know, bipartisan legislation is going to kind of grind to a halt in like 14 months. So you have a relatively small window of when everybody's actually going to be there and you might be able to get something done. If it's okay with you, I'd like to kind of to quickly talk about the merits of these ideas before we, we, we get into the, the other big story here, because it's one thing for us to kind of handicap the let the sausage making of of whether this could happen i am on the record of i think it's way more likely than zero percent although it's probably more likely i would say it's more likely that nothing happens and something happens but i definitely don't think the odds are as bleak as some of our our, our colleagues in the national media but i there's i, I I'm, I'm writing about this in extra points it will, it will publish uh on wednesday which i think was when you're hearing this too i personally believe that giving the NCAA exactly what they're asking for as written would not be a good policy. But I'm not somebody who thinks we should do nothing. Um, I, I think it is um, emotionally satisfying to look at this and go, well, the NCAA, you had your chance to fix this stuff a decade ago and you didn't. And now this is your problem and Congress has other things to worry about and you fix it. Like in and, and many ways, like that would be a, a fitting referendum on Poor executive policy out of Indianapolis. I think that that's true. It's a recognition that we've got some real idiots in the U.S. Senate and in the House, and maybe you don't want touching. You want them touching this, and that's true too. But I don't really see a practical solution right now that happens without the government being involved at all. Like, let's say you are on the the the, the side that wants to maximize athlete freedom, and you say, well, the, the solution is to just kill amateurism once and for all, move towards collective bargaining, and formalize this process that's already happening. And, you know, I, I, I respect people who, who think that way. I don't think you can meaningfully get there without some level of government help. Um, you know, the NCAA can't create a union to bargain with. Like labor has to do that. And in order for that to happen, and it might not happen anyway, because that's a very difficult thing to organize. We probably need some kind of legal clarification. Um, we need the courts or the NLRB or somebody to say, actually, college athletes are employees right now. We think that will happen as we go through that process, but that's that's not solidified yet. You need some kind of clarity about whether this is going to be permitted in right to work states, which is going to, which is you know still a significant chunk of of of, uh, of the South, or in places that straight up ban public um, public employee unions, which may be depending on how you set up a uh, the bargaining unit, what a college football player is considered. Those are legal and political questions. They they have to be resolved. The other thing that I expect. You're going to hear from Dr. Livingstone, Governor Baker, and from numerous other presidents over the next couple of months because they're already testing out this messaging. You're hearing this from some other conference commissioners too, is that they believe that college athletics is the, one of the great laboratories of human development in this country. I think that's the exact term. And it is undoubtedly one of the largest scholarship programs in the country. 
I think I read. I think I read today between Division One and Division Two, we're we're close to two hundred thousand athletic scholarships being offered across all sports. And if something happened where uh, the court system and there's no kind of legislative brokered retreat from amateurism, this shifts and suddenly many Division Two schools or low major schools decide to pare down their athletic department offerings to move towards a full employment model. Let's say we lose 45, 50 of those 200,000 scholarships, which is, I think, a thing that really could happen. That would represent, I think, an, enor an enormous loss for equity because we don't live in a society where everybody has equal access to an affordable college education or has equal access to great K-12 education. So I would look to Congress as to potentially, like, if this system is falling apart, what can we do to protect the largest amount of access to athletic scholarships as, 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 and part of this world, even if we recognize that the quarterback at USC and a softball player at Chico State are very different things. Uh, what can we do to provide incentives to make sure that Chico State doesn't pull the plug on some of those other opportunities, which may help people build generational wealth and, and, and move forward with, you know, and, and grow as, as people and be part of society. The individuals that I think will be most hurt by that are not going to be the rich white kids who are going to pick up the partial lacrosse scholarship somewhere. I think it will be mostly people that would that would struggle to be able to afford college the same way. And, and, and that's a meaningful issue. The, uh, the last concern here that I have is I feel like the NCAA is asking for all of these burdens to be placed on the athlete. If we move towards a system where national law preempts state law, and where the NCAA has the broad latitude to regulate NIL, that might be better for college sports governance. That might provide a world that is easier to understand and simpler as a fan, but it will unquestionably lower the total amount of revenue that athletes will earn, particularly elite athletes, people that are able to make $2 million from collectives right now. If the NCAA is able to gain more control, there's going to be a push against some of those things. Um, if you take away the the possibility of organizing as uh, a collective bargaining, you're basically nuking the chance for future athletes to agitate for future benefits. Like that's that's a major concession. I think the only way you could possibly ask a lawmaker to give you that kind of latitude is if you are going to be giving up something important in return. What you have heard the Drake Group, big college athletics reform group, uh, propose. I've heard other Dr. Kevin Blue that we talked to, former athletic director at UC uh, Irvine, uh, or UC Davis uh, has talked about with us. I think the Knight Commission has proposed this too. This idea of, hey, if we're going to give a antitrust exemption to regulate maybe athlete compensation, we got to do that for coaches and we got to do that for athletic directors. If we're going to put a de facto salary cap on athletes for their NIL deals, then there needs to be a salary tax or some other kind of push to keep somebody from making $9 million to finish last in the SEC West. There needs to be some kind of like legal, you know, codif codification of long-term health care rather than a promise that the NCAA could break at some future date. So if I'm a lawmaker, Democrat, Republican, anybody, and Charlie Baker calls me up and says, I need this, the unanswered question right now, I think, should be, what are you willing to give up? And what we saw last year, the answer was mostly nothing. And so everyone essentially told, you know, Mark Emmert and his lobbying crew to go pound sand. And if this is as serious as you think it is, and I don't know about you, like I think it is pretty serious because the, the law is going to force their hand, then I think you need to come forward with a better offer than just we need these three things.
I, I would agree with a lot of that. Um, you know, and I think it's it's important to note that a lot of these issues that, especially when dealing with Congress, are something that school presidents have been dealing with quite often over the last dec- couple decades. You know, sure. like the, the, the higher education policy, uh, you know, in this country is, is constantly involving. You know, I was, uh, I mentioned it a little bit uh, in, in a couple of interviews. You know, um, right before we got to San Antonio, you, you look at the uh, University of California system dealing with a few of their, um, you know, post grad teachers uh, yeah. unions. They're having issues with. Um, you know, there was a big strike in the UC system. Um, you know. Higher education leaders deal with a lot of that, um, you know, certainly away from athletics, but, you know, it can kind of come into play a little bit here in terms of dealing with their local state legislature in terms of how that's uh, governed, you know, what, what state laws might uh, impact their universities. Obviously, yeah, the whole public versus private debate, uh, you know, there are different rules for, for both. And, um, you know, navigating a lot of that is a very complex challenge. And when you're adding on top of that, there are thousands of schools with very different missions. Um, you know, it, yeah. it can get very, very complicated. That's why these these matters, you know, do require kind of con- congressional intervention. And I, I don't get a sense, even if something does something, does end up getting done, um, you know, kind of to your to your other point. I, I don't think a full antitrust exemption or anything like that is going to be on the plate. And um, you know, a number of senators have, have essentially kind of said that publicly, and uh, that that's kind of the gist I've gotten. But I, I do feel uh, to your last point that maybe the NCA is going to come to the bargaining table a little bit more um, and 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 give up some things. And, and I think that might be a bigger sea change than people maybe imagined uh, a year ago at this time. And uh, could pro- some some on the older end probably couldn't even fathom. Uh, you know, giving up a few of these things and yeah. there's still be some that are going to kind of dig their heels in a, a little bit more. And, um, but I think especially amongst those that are a bit younger, a bit, bit more forward thinking, um, you know, this is a, a much needed thing because frankly, you, you talk with coaches, you talk with some, some ADs, uh, people on the ground, even people involved in these collectives, you know, the, the whole, oh, it's a wild, wild west. Yes, that, 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 that's a great term. But, um, you know, I, I think everybody wants some sort of sanity. You know, it, it is one thing, um, you know, to, to go from the NFL back down to college football. And you can understand why uh, Kevin Warren says, you know, if, if I can't change the system, I, wh- why am I dealing with it? I'm, I'm just going to get out of it. And I think that is a, a bit of a worry for a lot of people in terms of, you know, the exodus. There, there's been an exodus of talent. And there's been an exodus of leadership, um, certainly these last couple of years. And, and that's where we kind of find ourselves. And if, if nothing, if, if the status quo keeps on going, you know, that is where those issues kind of build up and build up and build up. And, and there's no pressure relief valve. And uh, if, if if there is one, it, it's going to be a, a bigger explosion than I think anybody's comfortable kind of dealing with. And so <laughs> something is, is going to have to happen. And, and I think that is um, really the, the biggest charge, uh, I think, for Charlie Baker over these next coming months and, and coming years is, is not only the listening, number one, to a lot of his schools, that's going to be a big thing on his plate, but kind of taking the temperature of the room, navigating those those tough political waters and and finding a solution, you know, and I, I don't even know if anybody has that perfect one. It, it's going to be a little bit messy, but eventually I, I do think there will be kind of that that stasis, that, that plane where we can kind of get to where it's maybe it is athletes uh, classified as employees. Maybe it's certain subclasses, uh, yeah. af, you know, classified as employees, um, which is probably likely where we're ended up heading. heading. And if you're an athletic director, hey, if you can collectively bargain with with some of these uh, people that are coming into those classes, you know what? There, there actually can be a bit of sanity provided with us, and uh, that's that's what I think a lot of people are eventually hoping. In the next four or five years, we can kind of get onto the other side yeah. of this. And, and, and maybe maybe have our summers back a little bit instead of dealing with a lot of these issues. I, the, the last thing I'll say is you're, you're definitely not wrong that if you gave a couple of these ADs and commissioners a shot and you turned off the microphone and, and, and we're, we're just talking, they would say, we want collective bargaining. 
and and a big part of that, and this is honestly part of why I am lukewarm on on this as a uh, as as a solution. Not, I'm not against it, but I'm, I'm not going to pound the table de- like demanding it. Is because if there is collective bargaining, you know who's going to win every time? Management. It's not well, especially because you know it, it's so much different from like the the NFLPA. Like th- those are number one. You have a, a, a number of big backers that that uh, with with law degrees. You're you're dealing with professional athletes. You're dealing with people that have you know certainly been out of school, out of college for for a couple of years. We're, we're talking about a lot of kids, you know, involved in this enterprise. And, and I think that sometimes does get lost when we talk about a lot of these bigger picture issues. Like you know, people that are coming onto your campus, they're 17, 18 years old. You yeah. know, and, and these these are well beyond their kind of issues. And, and you can kind. To understand why their narrow subset, especially maybe uh, as a four or five star quarterback, might be on uh, something versus you know if you're a 20, 24 year old softball player uh, just hoping to eke out another year of eligibility so you can get that graduate degree. You know there, there are there's a lot of stakeholders that uh, I think do not get rem- uh, get thought about in terms of this process uh, a lot, and and hopefully that will kind of change a little bit as we move forward. Um, part of the reason that professional unions often get rolled a little bit in these new, in new CBA negotiations is that it's difficult to build a really cohesive, strong professional athletics union up, up and down because the typically the financial interests of LeBron James and the financial interests of Robin Lopez or of a guy that's the, the second round draft pick that's the 14th guy on the bench are really different. And you can kind of play those two off of each other a little bit in these kind of conversations. And uh, that that dynamic is going to exactly be the case here in college with people that are going to be younger people. Is the bargaining unit just football players? Is it all the athletes in a particular conference? Is it only upperclassmen? Is it something else, right? Because there are very few unions worldwide where all of the members are going to be like under 25 and it's difficult to organize unions in general where the labor force cycles out every two or three years. It does happen. Um, but part of why organizing a Starbucks is hard and it's taken a long time to get to this, this point. It's the same reason why organizing Texas tech football is going to be hard. And then even if you do winning a negotiation uh, and like I've had people in this industry tell me like, if, if this happens, there will be labor winners, but over the balance, a lot of athletes are going to end up in a worse position than they were beforehand. Could be wrong. Like, I, I mean, like I, I am, I'm not anti-athletes unionizing. I'm, I'm not active, you know, anti-collective um, bargaining or anything. I, I just have some potential concerns about what that will look like in a, in a power structure where the deck is going to be stacked against them. Well, and, and to your point about just uh, consensus building, um, you know, amongst the kind of the, the vertical and horizontal thing. I mean, we, we we saw this in COVID, you know, in terms of having that's exactly to play, you know, varied by league, varied by school. And, uh, you know, you don't think that's going to be the case when it comes to athlete benefits or, you know, talking about uh, some of these classifications or, or how you break it down. And then you throw in various states that are going to be involved. It, it's it's going to be a lot, um, you know, across across all of it. Um, I, I'm just kind of hoping that uh, we, we can reach it sooner rather than later so we don't have to keep dealing with this uh, all the t- all the time and keep having yeah. podcast discussions like this and, and taking up uh, a half hour of our time. Yeah, you know, we know what what is not going to be a complicated negotiation where we don't have to go uh, dig into an ethical quandary about how we should feel about something. That's buying stuff on homefieldapparel.com. Friends, it's very simple. You don't need a congressional subcommittee. You don't need to consult a political theorist or your or your, your bishop, whether this is something that you should be endorsing. You just sit there and think, do I like extremely comfortable T-shirts, hoodies, other clothes 
with uh, fun, vintage, unique designs on them. And if you do, and chances are you do, or if you don't, you would have given up listening to this show a long time ago, uh, then you'd like our friends at Home Field Apparel out of Indianapolis. They are dropping a bunch of new designs and new schools as we speak. In just- particular, as a, a Louisville-based institution uh, from the D1 Ticker Empire, the, the that is true. collection uh, looks fantastic. I, I know a lot of folks that are already jumping on that. they got a couple of other schools as well, uh, dropping a couple of those uh, new designs uh, throughout the, the course of uh, the next couple of weeks. And uh, let me just say, there's some good stuff coming your way if you are a fan of, as you mentioned, vintage home field apparel. I uh, did recently buy some TCU stuff to, to, to celebrate their victory over Michigan. But the designs that have, um, yeah, don't tell Taylor, because I, I promised her I wouldn't buy any more of these things. Um, the, the, <laughs> the stuff that's caught my eye recently though, is the new collection at Arkansas state, which I think dropped like two weeks ago. I've never been to Jonesboro. Is that where it is? Jonesboro? Yep, yep. I've never, I've never been there. I don't think I know anybody that went to Arkansas state. Um, I want to drop one of these in the, in the next extra points show notes. The, there, there's, there's a sign of, there's, I mean, there's, there's a shirt that what appears to be one of those inflatable tube men that you see on like used car lots, um, in a tuxedo, his name is red. Uh, I, I think I need to have it. And there's probably things I know that you need to get too. So use promo code extra points when you buy stuff at homefieldapparel.com, including, I believe, still an extra point shirt. I think they still have a couple of those left uh, of our old logo that I, I'm not supposed to be using anymore because it's not brand safe. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not what conference commissioners want to be associated with now. Um, so you should buy it. And you can find that at homefieldapparel.com. And you can, of course, shoot me a note if you'd like to be introduced to our friends at The Good Brand to get your stuff on there. I know they're working on a couple of other low majors and Division II schools as we speak. My email is matt at extrapointsmb.com. Um, speaking of the logo I'm not supposed to use anymore, if you are a longtime reader of Extra Points, you might remember that as an old-timey football player. We actually we, we co-opted this off of a, a vintage game program from Tulane and replaced the football with a gigantic bag of money. Um, I thought it looked pretty cool. I understand that that you know maybe not everybody that reads the Extra Points newsletter loves that necessarily. Uh, if you don't, I apologize for what I did earlier this week because the Big Ten needs a new commissioner. Kevin Warren has taken the Chicago Bears job. He's gone to the NFL to go focus on um, beating the Green Bay Packers once a decade and building a new stadium, which means that now one of the most coveted positions in college athletics is now open. And Brian, we could talk in a second here about many of the numerous candidates that could be uh, considered for that role. There are no shortage of highly qualified uh, you know, respected leaders in this industry and outside this industry that I, I think would fit in well. But earlier this week, I encouraged the conference to maybe look a little bit outside the box, which they had done before. They should hire me. I already live here. I, I, I live almost equidistant between the Rosemont office and the BTN headquarters uh, you know, just outside of downtown. It's easy commuting distance for both places. Um, like we mentioned before, <laughs> I literally have more college sports experience than some of the guys they've hired for the biggest jobs and everything. I mean, Kevin Warren wasn't a college sports guy. He was an attorney. He was a longtime NFL person. He had tons of media and legal and executive leadership, but didn't have college sports experience. Uh, and we, we really do have some of those things. And I had, I had a couple of policy ideas, some of them being very serious. Like I legitimately do think the Big Ten should spend some of their money 
and use it to partner with Chicago Parks District and Chicago Public Schools. And this is a program that I think could be expanded into D.C. or Los Angeles or throughout the footprint to improve staffing and facilities for middle school and high school sports in exchange for then blanketing those facilities with Big Ten propaganda. Big Ten marketing. We should build pools in Chicago with UCLA and Rutgers and Maryland banners everywhere and flag football teams and these other facilities so we can produce more elite prospects in this footprint to come to Chicago. Uh, I also say that we should then force in and out to build uh, facilities in the, the footprint, make Penn State respond to FOIWAs, uh, and make Iowa change offensive coordinators. These are things that, in the short term, the public has gotten behind. I have not yet received any phone calls from uh, Turnkey or any other executive search firms. I promise to let you know if that happens. Um, Brian, who do you think they should hire? Well, you, of course. I, besides I besides me, in, in, in the events that, I don't know, we can't reach a good buyout for within ticker or something, or we're not able to, to come to terms. Everyone needs a backup. Well, I, I, would, I would just say that, uh, you know, as, as we were at the NCAA convention, this news kind of dropped uh, officially, you know, I, and it's certainly the, the reports have been out there for a couple of weeks. I, I think everybody had understood that, um, you know, with Kevin Warren's contract coming up, maybe what was some more thinking, maybe this is just a bit, bit of a leverage play, uh, you know, to kind of re-up his, his, his current deal. But um, there's still a bit of a, an eyebrow raising, uh, if you will, surround throughout uh, San Antonio there when the news kind of actually became official and like, oh, hey, the, the Big Ten commissioner is, is actually leaving. And, uh, you know, which was moderately interesting, uh, I think, in, in, in retrospect. Uh, but, it, you know, as, as you talk about candidates, and I know that's always where the conversation is immediately going to go as soon as one guy uh, kind of opens that door to, to start leaving. I, I think everybody kind of looks at ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips and saying, you know what, that is the natural guy. They probably should have hired in the first place, um, you know, was was one of the finalists for the job when, when Kevin Warren ultimately got it. Uh, makes a lot of sense in terms of, hey, he's already a power five commissioner, but we really don't see that kind of kind of jump. You know, and, and I think that's uh, something that uh, I know Greg Sankey had some some pointed comments uh, a little bit later in the week uh, directed towards Kevin Warren in terms of, um, you know, people having leadership uh, in college athletics being invested in this enterprise uh, moving forward. And, and I think it'll be uh, going to be very interesting to see Jim Phillips <laughs> deflect uh, a little bit over the coming months and coming years um, as his name's probably going to be heavily connected with this, given just given his ties to the footprint, given sure. his ties to Chicago. It, it makes a lot of sense in terms of you. This is a, a vastly different job. And then when Kevin Warren took over, you know, that you don't have a media contract necessarily. You need to negotiate for another five or six years. You know, like you're you do have to deal with integration issues with USC and UCLA. Sure. But uh, this is much more of kind of the administrator, the, the lawyer that you need to navigate those those NCA issues that we were just talking about uh, at the first part of the show. You know, you need somebody that is is a college athletics person, I think. And that's going to be the interesting charge, I think, um, as we've had all, all, all these outsiders come into these these power five commissioner ranks. What ultimately are the Big Ten presidents and chancellors going to be looking for? And, and I think I, I, I keep getting back to, and, and it's still very early in the process. No search firm has been selected. No search committee has been formed, anything like that. Um, you know, I, I still think ultimately th those presidents and chancellors do want somebody more for the long term, somebody that is invested in the in the Big Ten uh, and, and really shepherding and stewarding this league moving forward. And that uh, yeah. naturally would, would, I think, for a lot of people – to Jim Phillips, but there's a lot of other candidates out there that would uh, say, you know what, they, they would also be a very good fit. Yeah, you're, you're not kidding about um, 
brushing off that speculation. It's obviously very early. I I I I, I did reach out to him, and I'm not saying this. To oh, yeah, I, we, yeah. We both. I think we both caught up with uh, with Jim at the convention. You know, and yeah, and he just like totally understands why we're going to have to ask that question. And yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'll have a, have a stock answer at some point uh, in the near future that he will get back to everybody with. And listen, I, I think he does actually really enjoy the the ACC's job. They're moving to Charlotte. I think that yeah. will help him him reconnect. Uh, he, he's he's been at just about every ACC event. Uh, you know, imaginable. I think he likes the presidents and chancellors that he's working with. But um, you know, I, the, the speculation is is there for a reason. You know, he he is a Big Ten guy. He he you know was was a long time AD at Northwest, but he's been in Chicago for a long time. He knows a lot of those presidents and chancellors from time, and and and, and knows that footprint so well. So it it makes sense. But there are a lot of good candidates out there. I know you talked with you know, Jen Heppel from the Patriot League. She was in in the Big Ten office not not yep. too long ago before uh, for jumping for a commissioner's job. But um, you know, I, I think it, it's going to be very very instructive in terms of what direction the big team presidents are going to take in terms of who they're going to hire for a search firm and, and ultimately kind of what they want to put out there in terms of, Hey, here's the direction we, we ultimately want to go. And so maybe that does lead them down the road to exploring what it would take to, to get Jim to, to move, uh, move jobs and in, in, in the power five, but make no mistake. This is one of the most attractive jobs in all of college athletics, like even way more attractive than taking that NCAA president's job that, that Charlie Baker just did. Yeah, this, this is, this is a way it's that that's, especially right now where you don't have to worry about a TV TVD for a little, a little bit in the, the college football playoff immediate expansion is secured. I would agree. It's 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 the best gig. The difference between this and the SEC is more about personal lifestyle um, than it is quality of the job. I will say I think you are exactly right in that it depends a little bit on what kind of expertise that you want. And I think if you're mostly talking to other ADs, and I, I, this is not a pejorative thing, like Jim Phillips is like an ADs kind of commissioner because he's a big time college sports guy. He is somebody that if I talk to a, a leader who's been in this industry for a while at West or in the South or, you know, that you are generally going to hear positive things about him. I know within ACC fans, uh, I, maybe not everybody's singing those praises, but you know, it's not like Jim brokered the previous television. I do bad rap from, from the ACC fans, as, as you mentioned, but like that was something kind of John Swafford had, had to pass off to him. So like he, yeah. he's kind of been restricted a little bit in terms of some of those issues. And, and let's face it in terms of kind of like resisting change, you know, it might be some of the ACC fans in terms of what the future of college sports is, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of ducking in their heels just a little bit. There's, there's a little bit of, the, there's a little bit of that too, right? Who, who, who can say, and if you decide that maybe what you need now is a, an administrator's administrator and, and, you know, lean into an insider, which I think would be defensible. Sure. That, that would be a great candidate. Um, it's probably worth noting that just like when Kevin Warren was hired, there's going to be a lot of presidential turnover within the Big Ten. There's and, been, uh, se- I think, seven new presidents and not, in, not even counting the, the new incoming Ohio State president uh, just in like the last 18 months, and which yeah. is a lot. That, that's a lot for any league and and especially so for an, such an established um, you know group like the, the Big Ten universities are. Yeah, and we saw this in like the first couple of months under Warren that when you have a college sports outsider with a relatively weak president's group and a crisis like we had with COVID, the result was not great. Uh, and, and things that happened in public that never would have happened in public before, and, and there was some fumbling and mistrust. Those are that those things are regained, maybe not at the end of the era, but it was an issue. And, and potentially leaning in somebody a little bit more insidery might help with that. You could go in other directions, right? You could decide that hey, even though it's not a television deal in the immediate future, we can defer to our campus leaders for athletic governance. We really need somebody who leans into marketing, 
and in media governance and in revenue generation, which is kind of like what the Big 12 and the uh, the Pac-12 ended up doing. If you want to do that, you maybe call, call Mark Silverman. Used to be the head of, of, of BTN, understands the he's the Fox Sport head of Fox head of Fox Sports now, right? Like knows these institutions, knows their goals, knows that business extremely well. He's got a pretty great job now, but it would make sense to, to call that kind of person, right? You want somebody that has more of a government policy uh, background, you you could potentially go in that direction. There's going to be a couple of university presidents like Kirk Schultz or Ted Carter that that might be. There's, there's a lot of different ways you can go. I like and and obviously saying you should hire me as a goof. Although if they do call me, I love my job right now. I would take that call, but it, you know. Just think of how much money they'd be saving, you know, just on salary alone. That's that's what I'm saying. I would work for 10% of what they're giving Warren. But no, it's it's on one hand, you may not be able to necessarily mess it up, but there's 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 five or six different directions that you can go. And quite frankly, maybe even hiring somebody completely off the board may not be a bad idea, since that's what that seems to be where 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 things are are going in this in this direction. Um my feudal hope, which I know is not going to be considered, is that whoever gets hired makes trying to do stuff for fans an important constituency. I would argue that most fans have not been especially well served by the Big Ten over the last year and a half. Um, you know, more games in late night television windows in the West Coast, if you are based in the Eastern and Central time zone, is not a great experience for you. More content behind multiple paywalls is not a great experience for you. More athlete travel or um, diminishing the number of games that you'll have against traditional historical rivals, not necessarily a great experience. There are other ways, I think, to be more aggressively consumer focused. That has not typically been a priority. Uh, That was something that frustrated me and frustrated many of my peers to the end of Delaney when it was very clear that that, they didn't care what you thought. But remember, the only reason you're getting a bajillion dollar deal from Fox and from CBS and everything is because people are still invested in this product. And there are potential headwinds that could threaten that if you take that constituency for granted, in my humble opinion. Humble opinion. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think the diversity of candidates is, is going to be very interesting too. Um, you know, just in terms of the, their their backgrounds, in terms of their actual diversity. You know, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all uh, if, if the Big Ten, hi, you know, hired somebody as as a woman. We we just had uh, Gloria Navarez being hired for, as, as as the Mountain West Commissioner, first Hispanic uh, Division One Commissioner, and then now the first FBS Commissioner. Now, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. First if, first Asian uh, FBS Commissioner too. Mr. Uh, Varis is uh, ambiguously ethnic, I think, in a couple of ways. Yeah, so, it's a, so a lot of um, you know. I, I think that's a priority, and, and I think you know the the, BT, the Big Ten presidents that are actually making this hire uh, a little bit more well versed in athletics matters than um, you know. I think some of their predecessors were. You know, I, I think there's going to be less of a learning curve in some of that stuff. I know we, we've seen you mentioned the outsiders. I mean, that has been the trend lately, um, not just with George Kavkov or Brett Yorbark, but um, you know, like it does feel like you kind of want something different a, a little bit, and 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 that will be an interesting yeah. direction. As I said, I think that maybe an ultimate administrator might be the, the, the actual direction uh, they, they end up going. But um, we, we heard that out of the Big 12 originally, and then they ended up hiring uh, pretty much a, a big outsider as you could find in, in Brett Yormark. And you know, to the, to 
you know, Brett's credit, you know, like they, they, he, the president's like working with him. That that's turned out to be a surprisingly decent marriage, um, you know, that you wouldn't have expected, um, you know, when, when he was initially announced. So, um, you know, do they bring in somebody? I know Chris Vanini uh, suggested uh, the CEO of WWE, uh, Nick Khan, who actually has uh, quite a bit of extensive experience in terms of not only the media rights negotiation uh, standpoint, but he's, you know, formerly at uh, CAA. So he's been heavily involved in kind of the college athletic space, representing a lot of broadcasters, a lot of people on, on the conference office side as well. So he has those connections. So um, it, it's yeah. going to be a very like intriguing search. And I, I think that probably is given that there's not a whole lot to do in terms of CIP expansion. Yes, there are dates and times and broadcast partners and, and some of that stuff that we'll be following uh, over the next couple of meetings that I'm sure, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have announcements about uh, out of the CFP as this thing really kind of gets, uh, gets down to the screws here. But at, at the end of the day, like, you know, there's, there's not that major kind of touch point, I think with, with college athletic right now uh, outside of governor Baker and in, in, in Congress. So beyond that, I, I think a, the big 10 commissioner search, uh, we'll, we'll probably be talking about it uh, on, on quite a few podcasts uh, going forward, just because it is not only is it one of the best jobs in college athletics, not only is it one of the biggest openings in college athletics right now, but I think a lot of people are going to be kind of following our journey and it's going to be uh, interesting timing too, in terms of how long those presidents going to take and, and yeah. ultimately kind of what direction they want to go. Well, you know, as I get further involved in that search, I'm sure I'll be limited to what I'm going to be allowed to share publicly, sure. but I will do my very best to what, you know, to keep everybody in the loop. Um, I apologize to people that are like, I don't want politics in my sports. Um, I mean, I don't, can't be that many of you that are listening to this podcast or like a part of Extra Points readers because that is kind of part of what we do. But that's going to be a, a, an enormous story here uh, over the next couple of months. Not just what happens with the Big Ten, but the legislative efforts within the U.S. Senate and what lawmakers think about uh, those proposals and what the courts think about those proposals and what it will mean to be a college athlete moving forward will be hashed out. You'll be able to follow along, of course, uh, on on uh, this podcast feed, uh, which you can get on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, we'll be, uh, I think, being able to share some changes about what this show will look like in 2023 relatively soon. Um, you can also be sure that to subscribe to Collegiate Sports Connect, which is totally free, and you'll be able to see a lot of the original interviews that Brian and I and our colleagues did from the NCAA convention uh, featuring many people on the transformation committee, many power five athletic directors, uh, many conference leaders throughout divisions uh, one, two, and three. Um, uh, we, we sat down with Ralph Russo at the AP. We sat down with a bunch of other, uh, you know, big names and digging through, you know, being able to share what's going on there. We'll, we'll be on, we'll be on connect. Uh, we just shared an interview with the commissioner of conference USA about their realignment plans and how they might be open to different kinds of members. Well, you can find that on Connect. And then, of course, you can find my stuff at extrapointsmb.com. Um, I think I hit everything there. It's been a little bit here. It's good, good to get another show under our belts. We'll be, we'll be back in touch soon. Thanks for listening, everybody.